You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, who have been telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com, and then definitely follow them on Instagram for all the information that you need, because I'm sure that's where you follow us as well, at oklahomahof. Let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode down at Bedford's. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram, this is the beautiful background because we're down at Bedford. So if you need any camera stuff, prints, stuff like that, um, yeah, do that. Check them out. So uh, my guest today is another Brit. I feel great saying that. Um, kind of similar story to me, but a different sport. Uh, Chris O'Hare is on the podcast, uh, all the way from Scotland, but now resides in Tulsa. Thanks for coming down to Oklahoma City, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. When uh, do you do a lot of podcast interviews? Um, Probably mostly more just on my yeah, yeah, kind of interviews, and I have some kind of people I grew up with who are doing it okay. and so kind of have a good chat with them but it's normally sitting on my couch at home on the laptop yeah, <laughs> yeah zoom in with everyone yeah. back home and six hour difference and stuff yeah. like that um, well great mate uh, let's start with obviously from Scotland uh, tell us about where you grew up and and high school and growing up and stuff like that grew up in a small village just outside of Edinburgh I went to Peebles High School mm-hmm. um, and we've been running um pretty much since I was at primary school um, competitively since I was in high school okay and um, yeah it brought me out to Tulsa yeah so what got you into running from a young age um, my older brother's three years older than me and he was kind of they have a one or two races in the summer every year and mm-hmm. so the cross country team assembles two weeks before and yeah. <laughs> dissolves the immediately after Um and so the kind of couple of weeks leading into these races, um, my older brother was running and I just wanted to do everything that he wanted to do and yeah. or do everything that he was doing and wanted to be like him. So um, kind of went along and could keep up with the older boys. And then yeah. the next again year, they couldn't keep up. So it was... Um, just a natural kind of gift a, then. You, you yeah. Something you just naturally took to and wasn't necessarily something that was like I'm going to grow up I'm going to be a runner it was I'm going right. to do this because I like you know want to follow my older brother and then you just figure out that you're much better than he is <laughs> right, better than everybody right. else and it wasn't I was always you know I never won a race hmm. the, all the sprint races and stuff you do in school it wasn't until this opportunity came along where you run like I think the race is two miles or something like that and I was like yeah. oh actually I can I can just keep going um I don't think my parents were necessarily surprised when uh-huh. <laughs> because I would be constantly running around but um yeah, the endurance side was always was yeah. always kind of what I was good at. So then, when you got in and you realised that you got into obviously the competitive running side in comprehensive school, which for like those listening back home is high school, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of. There's so as you know, the way it works in, in the UK is we have a club system. Mm-hmm. We don't really do it through the high schools. Um, it's not like you join your high school cross country team right. and then that's your the majority of class. Your, yeah, yeah. So there are a couple of races like the Scottish schools and the British schools where mm-hmm. you can race for your school. But yeah. um, other than that, it's just your club. And so I ran for City of Edinburgh um, and 
we kind of it's all kind of a volunteer basis really the coaching mm-hmm. and everything like that and so Tuesdays Thursdays and uh, in the evening and then Saturday and Sunday morning I would go into Edinburgh and um, meet my my coach and meet my training mm-hmm. partners and we would do sessions and then yeah. you know, get home at around nine o'clock and pretend to do some homework for 20 minutes and then go yeah. to bed and do it on the school bus on the way to school tomorrow and the next yeah, morning yeah, yeah so at that point you know I guess when you get to like you know 15 16 17 you know you can drive around or whatever um are you thinking you know what am i going to do in university am i going to go run competitively or you like i set on commonwealth and stuff like that at that point um yeah yeah i kind of i mean i knew professional i knew there were professional track runners Mm. i didn't really it seemed so far away yeah um that when I was in in high school, early on in high school, I was um, far from academic. I was mm-hmm. the one causing trouble and not being in class and yeah. getting into trouble in that, but in, in all sorts of ways. So it wasn't until we were actually on holiday in Florida and we were in these, I mean, what seems like 18-hour lines for, for one ride. And there's a guy wearing an Arkansas track and field shirt um, and my dad said to me, what's Arkansas? Yeah. Um, because we had actually never even heard of Arkansas. Yeah. Um, and so reading it, it does read as it does. Ar- it totally Arkansas. Does. Yeah. So, and we, we obviously knew of Kansas from yeah. movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, And he kind of gave us a bit of a rundown on college and their scholarships and everything like that. And at first to us, it seemed like a bit of a scam. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, somebody's going to give you f- effectively like 50 grand a year, all this gear, free housing, all of this, and t- to for you to run a few races for them. Yeah. You, it was like, I don't know, <laughs> it seems a bit dodgy. We did some more homework on it, realized that it was a kind of a legitimate thing. thing. Yeah. Um, and then at that point, the kind of realization for me sunk in that like I'm way off here um, academically getting into any of mm-hmm. these schools I'm, I'm there f- physically but I need to really knuckle down mm-hmm. so I kind of excluded everything else out of my life kind of changed social circles stuff like that and made sure that I was wholeheartedly getting involved in right. making sure I could do everything I could do yeah. to, to get this scholarship um, did that wasn't very easy, but did it. Um, the SAT, right? Uh, actually, I, I did a year of university at home first. Oh, okay. So kind of came in the back door yeah. um, a little bit, which helped because the SAT would have been... Um, I, I, I mean, I had to do it and I sucked at it. I did it two or three times and I just I'm not a great test taker and not really like academically fun. You know, I don't enjoy math, English or any of the others. Right. But yeah, like the SAT was just a nightmare. I think the American system is set up from day one to prepare them yeah. for this standardized test. Not so much like that in the mm-hmm. UK. Um, my younger sister who ran at Tulsa as well, she had to sit at the SAT and an ACT to see right. you know, which was better. And yeah, it was hard. I mean, so another thing on your plate when you're studying for yeah. for something exams that are not that and yeah. then you have to kind of also add in that as well it's not it's not easy but um yeah it was um it all worked out in the end yeah. and we kind of came out here and um my first my first kind of week at, at school and they're like okay this is your you're going to go here and you're going to pick up your stipend check I'm like okay cool like what where do I have to work yeah. to get this stipend check and they're like 
no, it's, it's, it's part of, it's part part of the scholarship. Of the it's part yeah. of, it's part of the whole process. And I'm like, right, I, right, but like, where like they have to work in the fitness center? They yeah, have to work yeah, yeah. in like the cafeteria. Like, where do I have to work? And they were like, no, you don't work. You don't you just do run. This is yeah. so you don't have to work. And I was like, oh wow, that's, that's crazy. Great. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Thanks. So um, that was a bit of a shock and a pleasant surprise. Um, but yeah, it was um, definitely from where I was there, and I wasn't good enough to be on. I wasn't good enough in the UK. To, I was kind of in the top 10, but mm. normally somewhere between like 5th and 10th. So I wasn't good enough to be on their kind of yeah. junior progress track where they're funding stuff for you and mm. helping you out. So coming to the NCAA was, for me, by different far world, the best option. It? it is a different world. Yeah. And it's hard to explain to people back home, like friends who, from me who play golf or friends who you know run for you, you just like... You don't understand. Like, and I was kind of late to it too. Like I was 21 my freshman year, and I I was lucky. I had friends who'd gone and were already out here, and and I kind of get the gist of it from them. But yeah, it's totally different to back home, and that. Yeah, it's it's um, it's just the system is not set set right. up to be kind of athletically. Mm. I mean, it's not. They don't have the same industry. I mean, yeah, your your revenue generating sports in the US are just as big as your professional sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just don't have that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. we barely have enough money for the professional sports in right. some instances. So, so when you went through, you know, go through the NCAA clearinghouse, which is an absolute minefield as well. Yeah. But you go through that, uh, and then you start getting offers. I mean, for for golf, for me, it was like submit a video. But for you, it's clearly times, right? Yeah. So it wasn't too hard. You just say, "Here are my times," and then hope for people to off, you know, give you offers. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty cut and dry in, in track, mm-hmm. and that's what I, I like about it. Is you know, there's there's only a couple of metrics. There's time, and there's position yeah um and so if you can prove that you can if you can prove that you can run fast but also win races Mm. then um whether that race is fast or slow um that's what coaches want yeah um and yeah i had offers from from schools all over the country um kind of schools like arkansas who are power field power power Mm -hmm. track and field schools Mm -hmm. and then and then schools like tulsa who are who are not or or who weren't anyway um and for me, it was a. Uh, I had worked so hard those those couple years academically that mm. I had gone from like not caring about academics at all to having to care about it yeah. out of necessity. And then it was well, actually, I've kind of put all this work in. I don't want to mm-hmm. go to a school where I'm just like just an athlete and yeah. don't get a valuable degree. Um, and so the 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 kind of stature the prep the power of the the mm-hmm. degree from tu was was what kind of drew me in as well as as well as the coaching staff um you know i just clicked with them right away yeah and and then it's a small school i didn't want to go to you know i had a propensity to get into trouble so i didn't want to go to a school where i yeah. was in a class of 500 people and um it's it's kind of easier, easier to get into and trouble and, yeah. and and um harder to hold yourself accountable right um so yeah, and, and I mean, having progressed all the way through to, to being an Olympian, I would have ran at T. I would, yeah. you know, 9.9 times out of 10, I would yeah. pick Tulsa. Um, and and I'm still very happy with that decision. Yeah. So so you pick Tulsa, you jump on a plane. Does mum or dad come out with you when you, when you fly out or do you fly out on your own? No, I flew out on my own, um, purely a, a cost thing. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And... 
I had never actually been. Same. I didn't take yeah. a visit. Um, totally the same. Yeah. And so the first time I flew in and, and and I signed with Tulsa and then I started to tell people that I was going to Oklahoma and they were they were like, Well, have you ever been to Oklahoma? I was like, No. Same. And they were like, Well, you know, what do you know about it? I'm like, nothing, really. I've yeah. looked at it on Google Maps a little bit. And I was so I was kind of expecting a barren wasteland of somewhat desert. Um, right. Because that's what I'd been told by people who had never been to Oklahoma either, yeah, and had no idea. <laughs> Seen it in movies and watched horses and carts, exactly, and Western exactly. Movies or whatever, yeah. But when I flew in over over Mohawk Park into Tulsa, I was like, "Oh, there's trees here. There's yeah. great." Um, granted, it was very hot, yeah. and um, I got lost on my first long run. Um, a couple of my first my first run in Tulsa was a long run, um, and I was trying to kind of be tough and strong and kind of not be weak to my new teammates and um, and I was like yeah I'll go a bit further and I'll just take the next bridge back and for those people who know Tulsa there's you know up and you can do a whole loop of the river on Tulsa in Tulsa and um, I ended up taking a road bridge back not a pedestrian bridge or not one with a yeah. sidewalk and lost the trail altogether I was told and then I find my way back to the trail but started going the wrong way so I was out for about two hours in the in the heat and just dying and a cyclist passed me and he was like you okay and I was like no I'm, no I'm really not I'm really not cussing up a storm and he's like do you need a drink and I was like please please, please. and and he, he was like where are you going I was like I'm trying to find my way back to Turkey Mountain car park and he was like okay like you're probably about four miles away. Just keep, like, go the way I'm going. Follow me on the trail. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I'm kind of plod back all the way up. And and again, for those who know Turkey Mountain, the last part is like very steep uphill. And I get back to the car park, and all my teammates are like, "What happened? <laughs> How can you get lost? How can you get lost on a river trail? It's just a loop." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, I've been delirious for the last hour, so I've no idea." Yeah. But. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I got home and called my mum and I was like, I'm coming home. I can't do it. It's too hot. I don't want to get And she was like, okay, go take a nap and yeah. speak to me in an hour or two. And and I was obviously I was fine, but um, yeah, it was it was an emotional first right. kind of 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. For me, I hated my first month. I just it was just miserable. I missed home so much, um, and just a bunch of different things, right? And it just it's so different and the heat is so different, you're not used to it and yeah, it, it's you're just totally on your own as well. And for me it was kind of a cost thing too, is like I I'm not like my parents aren't gonna change my flight home because it right. costs too much money. <laughs> yeah, like right. I'm here till right. Christmas. Yeah. Uh but yeah, it was it's it's funny, like everything you say, I'm like, yeah, I get that. Like, I didn't come on a visit either. I just came straight out, and my dad came with me. But that was the both first time we'd both come to the states. Right. And it was super weird experience. Uh, so, so you settle down freshman year. What's like first race? Like, what's the team like? Stuff like that. Yeah, the team. The team environment was um, pretty good. Um, it's not as good as it is now. I, I help right. out with the team now, and the the. The um, the culture is so much better. Um, it was a, a little bit toxic when I was there yeah. the first my first couple of years, but um, it, it improved. But um, yeah, good. I mean, I I went kind of straight into 
because I transferred from the UK, I didn't have to live in student dorms. Gotcha. So I got to go straight into an apartment, which was a bit of a lifesaver because yeah. um, I'd already lived away from home for a year. And so I didn't want to go back to like sharing a room with someone, and, yeah. but especially somebody I didn't know. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, my, my flatmates, my, my apartment mates were, were great. Um, some of my best friends to this day mm -hmm. still. And they kind of helped me through a lot. Um, yeah. Just even just being like, kind of knowing where to, like what stores to go to oh, or simple anything things, like that. Simple like things, isn't it? Simple things. Not going to Walgreens and buying your entire shopping. You're like, <laughs> no, go to Walmart instead. <laughs> right, right. right. Um, and knowing what Walmart's, Walmart's not to go to. Yeah. Stuff like that. So, um yeah, it was. I mean, I, I would have been very lost without mm -hmm. without Sam, my 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 first roommate or my first flatmate, um, and he was my, my my teammate as well. But um, yeah, big big culture shock, yeah. big um, big temperature shock. I remember, kind of coming home after like almost every class and changing my underwear and changing my shirt because yeah. Yeah, I was just sweating. The sweat was lashing off me all the time. Um, but I mean. I'd been hot places before I'd, you know, Commonwealth Youth Games, I'd had a race in India and it was hotter than hell there. And, yeah. But, and I'd been on holiday to Florida and Turkey and hot places, but it's different when you're sitting in the pool not doing anything versus yeah. like having to like go and get shopping, go and find furniture, go to class. Yeah. Um, and it's rubbish kind of walking five minutes to class and being drenched yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my yeah. first couple of days I had a clean shirt in my bag and I would put it on when I go to the bathroom put my clean shirt on when yeah. I got to class so I didn't sit there stinking up the whole room <laughs> but you, you slowly adapt you slowly yeah you're right slowly you get used to it but I mean I'm sure you missed like initially you missed the kind of cold fresh mornings of going for a run yeah. right because I mean today was kind of like that but you don't really get that very often, especially in August. In September, it's it's a melting pot here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's very hot, and and I kept kind of thinking, just like one more week, it work. We're into October. Surely it'll get cold soon. <laughs> Still eighty five, like ninety degrees. December, and I'm like, right, where's the bloody cold weather? Yeah. And then it hits, and you're like, holy, it's, oh, it's cold. cold. It's very cold. Yeah. Like bring back the sunshine. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's not kind of that mild morning with a little bit of crisp air. It's yeah. it's kind of polar opposites here. So freshman year was fine, like got settled into it, got into races and how was like performance with the heat and stuff? Like did it affect you early on or did it was it just kind of just mental thing got over it? Um a bit more of a mental thing. Yeah. I mean when you're running in it twice a day, every day you adapt quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Um I came in with a, a a a bit I say a bit, it was a serious injury, but it wasn't holding me out all the time sure. about, uh, with my rib and my back it was kind of not moving with the rest of my rib cage and gotcha. it was tearing me up and so I could go for a couple of weeks get some really good training in and then I would do one session and it just would tear yeah. me up and I'd be out for a couple of weeks so it was lots of back and forth it was frustrating for me frustrating for the coaches because it wasn't like a torn hamstring right. or stress fracture where it was easy to easy to diagnose mm. and easy to treat it was it was quite difficult um we were getting kind of varying diagnosis from different people different training staff different chiropractors they yeah. were all kind of telling me different things it wasn't actually until i got back at christmas time and saw a physio who was a rugby physio mm -hmm. and he saw a lot with people just getting smoked yeah. on the rugby field and and so he he sorted me out gave me the exercises to hold it together and um and it got better from there I had a yeah. pretty good indoor season 
pretty good outdoor season. It wasn't until my sophomore year um, where I ran 356 for the mile and was second in NCAA champs, stuff yeah. like that. And then we kind of progressed from, from there. So that sophomore year was the breakthrough of like, okay, Chris is now on the scene. People yeah. are starting to know a lot more of who you are. And I mean, 356 for a mile, that's cooking. That is, that's nuts, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, that's, that's, that is flying. Uh, and then where was NCAAs that year that you came second? That was in College Station, okay. uh, Texas A&M. Um, and I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and, um, Coach Gully's had Coach Gully tells us had lots of success, mm. but we were both kind of out of our out of our depths a little bit. Um, he'd had athletes compete NCAA championships before, but wasn't necessarily he'd never really had an athlete compete for a win for right. a championship. Yeah. And so I said, you know, what's the game plan? You know, fifteen minutes or so before yeah. during my warm up, fifteen minutes before before they take you out on the track. I'm like, what's the game plan? He's like, you know what to do. And I was like, yeah. And then I walked away from him. I was like, no, I need a game plan. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, yeah. I need a game plan. Like, you know, sure, I've I've ran lots of races, but never of that kind of sure. that caliber. Yeah. I didn't. I was kind of out of my league, or felt like I was out of my league. Um, and so just went to the front and tried to win it from the front. Which for any listeners who are yeah. runners, that's the hard way to do it. Um, I almost pulled it off. I lost by well, I'd get a couple tenths of a second. Yeah. Um, to the guy who did was the he favorite. Sit on, did he sit on your tail the whole time and then um, come through? Not quite. We were kind of, ever. there was two or three of us who were kind of chopping gotcha. and changing the lead. I just didn't kind of want to give it up. Yeah. Um, and then the year after that, uh, got my re- got my revenge and that's when I won my yeah. first NCAA title. Doing the same thing, doing the same tactic. Yeah. Coach was like, well, it worked last year. And I was like, well, we didn't because I didn't. got beat. <laughs> but and he was like, well, you're better than last year. I was like, yeah. okay, well, let's give it a shot and see what happens. Then you lasted um, the 1500. Just, just, just lasted, yeah. Because yeah. uh, when you like research, you, you obviously did the 800 too, right? Which is like the yeah. hardest thing to train for. Yeah. But to my limited knowledge of running, like the 800 is, is miserable to train for, yeah. right? It's, it's, you know, the, the mile is, is um, that kind of impossible mix of speed and endurance. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the 800, it's the impossible mix of speed, yeah. more speed and some endurance. And yeah. so for, for 800 runners, for true 800 meter runners, they're like 800 meter runners, 400 meter runners. Gotcha. They're kind of yeah, they don't four, the eight way. guys yeah. or eight, 15 guys who kind of are, have very Dabble good natural yeah. speed. Um, I'm more of a strength guy, gotcha. kind of 5k ish. Okay. Um, didn't actually run any 5k's in college because yeah. we had 5k guys on the team. So I was kind of stuck in the 815 because yeah. we, I was good enough to be the 815 guy and we didn't really have right. as many of those guys. So we needed the points there. Um, I say went to Tulsa as a 5K guy. That was my, yeah. that was my intention was to be a 5,000 meter runner. And it wasn't until I ran 356 for the mile and went like it was the six, second fastest time in the nation that year yeah. or something. And coach was like, "Well, you're a miler now." And I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay." Didn't yeah. change training much. We were, we were a pretty strength based program, but. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. So that's when everything starts kicking off. You're on the scene. Uh, you know, does the GBNI start taking any notice? Like, when does that come in to you? Like, oh, there's this guy in the states, which I'm sure there's a lot of you in the states, right? Same with golf, right? It was kind of it is the best place to come for yeah. competitive college sports or that age, unless you've already made it from 18 years old or whatever. But 
So they clearly would have had an eye on you. Yeah. Um, British athletics at the time, it's a lot better now. At the time, yeah. it was, or it's not a lot better, it's better now. Um, British athletics at the time made it very, very difficult. They had no intention of, of making it easy for really British people who were in the US because you were you weren't doing it in their system um, and there was lots of people in yeah. the organization at the time that were um, their sole purpose was to keep their job and their job was keeping athletes in the UK gotcha. um, and so they in 2012 I think it was might be wrong on the year in 2012 I think um, I was had ran the fastest mile slash 1500 yeah. time in Britain that year and they picked three guys for the European indoors who were slower than me. Yeah. Um, the rationale being that I was tired from the NCAA season. Yeah. Okay. And like, well, you would know that I wasn't tired from the NCAA if you'd actually taken any time to consult with myself and my coach. Exactly. But they yeah. Slightly better now, but um, athletes that come to the US still face a bit of a yeah a bit of a struggle. They have to be ultimately they have to be they have to prove their selection beyond a doubt gotcha. versus um, some athletes in the UK that get a little bit of leeway yeah. um, because they're in the system. God, so that's, that's terrible, isn't it? I mean, it's somewhat, it's just sport politics that go yeah. on in every single sport. Yeah. Um, and it, unless it you're, in golf, you're right. involved in the sport, you don't kind yeah. of get the intricacies. And, and for the most part, those ath athletes are scared to talk about it because mm -hmm. you, you don't want to make it even more difficult for yourself. Right, um, yeah, because then if you speak up about it, then you're like blacked, blackballed right. for like right. ever then, right? right? Oh, he's kicking up a fuss, he's, exactly. he's you know, he, and then they can blame all the other things on you, <laughs> right. right? And right. swing it any other way. So yeah, that's, that's a bit of an issue to deal with, isn't it? Especially being halfway around the world, like... I'm sure parents are kicking off, right? You know, because they're passionate, they know you're better than everybody else. But there's nothing they can do. There's nothing you can do from being in the States. And you're still going to school and you have to compete as well as, you know, stuff like that. So do you go home in this every summer as well to go run and yeah. events like that? Yeah. The so kind of match up um, a little bit. Now, I mean, the, the state of British 1500 meter running is... Mm -hmm. is we are arguably one of the best countries in the world. And, and um, last year in Doha in the World Championships, we had three in the final, yeah. um, three Scottish guys actually in the final. Um, there's like five or six of us in contention for mm -hmm. the Olympic team and probably even a bit more than that, <laughs> given another year, another sure. year, the younger guys have another year yeah. progression. And so there's probably seven or eight of us eight or nine of us that could be that could make the team mm -hmm. um so it's very exciting it's very oh, yeah. exciting for for fans um whereas in kind of 2013 there was only really two of us um yeah 20, 13, 14 and 15 there was only really two of us and so all we had to do was run the time and be You're top in. two at the british championships and then that was it yeah uh, now the british championships is, is a very intense ordeal um, right. but it's it's kind of progressed the whole progressed the whole event yeah it's amazing because now you like I said you have a bunch of people doing it there's a lot of especially in Scotland obviously if the top three guys are, are there and you know it, the whole rising tide lifts all boats right, right. You're, you know just to raise the level of competition and it gets more funding and people get into it more and they get more buzz and excited about it and there's nothing better than that uh, so you got, you're at TU things are going well you graduate in 13? Yes. And then wait, like, what happens when you graduate? You're dating your girlfriend at the time. Uh, you know, do you go back home and train? Like, or do you stay? Like, how does that whole work out? 
Um, so I made the world championships in Moscow when I was still in college. Okay. Um, so came back for one cross country season after that mm -hmm. and then went pro after that. Um, been dating my girlfriend for, for a couple of years at that point. Um, and when I signed my contract with Adidas, I, um, went against the advice of every financial advisor ever and the first thing I bought was an engagement ring um, <laughs> best decision um, ever right, right? Yeah. so um, that was, the, that was the, the first thing and and she came across her and her parents came across to watch me in the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow yeah. um, so that was kind of a an incredible 10 day period with Commonwealth Games in my own country right. and then proposed to my to my girlfriend yeah. um, with my family and her parents were there as well so that was quite quite a 10 day awesome. experience um and then um yeah then we 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 obviously everybody came back or my wife and family and i came back to um to tulsa yeah trained for a bit in tulsa trained for a bit in in the uk wherever races were mm -hmm. um kind of danced around the us to see to try out some different training groups mm -hmm. um and then my wife and I moved to Boston at the end of 2014. Um, okay. to, <clears throat> that was where Adidas wanted me to be, and the coach was there. And um, and then we lived in Boston for almost four years, but it got yeah. insanely expensive, especially after yeah, cheap, is it? <laughs> our first son was born. So we, yeah. at that point, kind of moved back and um, for some family help and some sure. easier financial situation. Right, yeah. Um, and then now we have another another yeah. son too. <laughs> That's so good, isn't it? So so when you went pro and you know you you bounce around the city, the state to find the states to find out I guess a good good group and then Diaz says no no we want you in Boston go to Boston and then you're a pro right so you're traveling to events. What is like the you know like the season of running you know obviously in golf I, I know the golf one but what is the running season like for you? Is it you know you all around the world? Are you mostly in the states? Like what was that like? Um, there's so our kind of like PGA tour uh -huh. is the is what's called the Diamond League. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember how many off there is off the top of my head. It kind of changes um, from year to year, but there's about twelve, I think, yeah. events throughout the year, and they're all over the world. Um, um, and so the season, our indoor season there isn't really a professional cross country season mm -hmm. if there what there are prof there are cross country races um but nobody really cares about not them like that a much league or whatever it's like not a, like yeah. yeah right and it's not like the ncaa cross country season gotcha. which is a big deal um that kind of goes from um october to yeah. middle of end of november um then the indoor season is kind of january through march sure. middle of march outdoor season is kind of middle of april through yeah. The professional season can go all the way to October some years. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of indoors for a few months and then get ready for outdoors. And um, I love indoors. Indoors mm -hmm. is great. Um, some people just don't run indoors at all. Um, but it's, it was normally kind of stay in the US for the most part for indoors, yeah. go back for British championships or if, to qualify for world indoors and European indoors mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then... The, and then outdoors, it's kind of like do a couple of races in the US, get your wheels turning, yeah. head into Europe. Um, whereas that's where the kind of main body of the of the track sure. world is in the summer. Yeah. Uh, do your wife travel with you as well this time? Was no, she like we kind Boston? of we kind of went from 
just being married we were only married a year when mm. Ronan was born so we kind of never really actually got the gotcha. opportunity to for her to travel with me to races so yeah. the that summer in 2014 was really the, the only time she's ever been to a race outside of the US yeah um she gets to travel to up to New York and Boston and stuff like that um, and bring the boys when I'm racing in the US. Yeah. But um, I have always found it to be, or certainly when I was young, a, a few years younger, a bit stressful to have more people there, sure. more people that are at the meet, the more people you have to worry about. You've got to get tickets make sure and get people tickets, in. Make sure and, yeah, they're there, make sure they're getting on the buses it? and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it, now I'm just like, well, if you're there, you're there. If you're not, yeah. you're not. Um, more important things to worry about now but yeah. um yeah she's unfortunately not got to come to that many races but fortunately has got to come to the kind of major ones in yeah. new york and stuff like that uh, i mean about those major ones we've obviously got to touch on the fact you made the olympics you're an olympian which is not many people can say that and it's amazing that you know to think of that when you put it into context you're like whoa i'm i'm an olympian wow uh what was that experience like qualifying first and then obviously going there and being a part of that team yeah the qualification process is a stressful thing because mm. you you kind of prepare your whole season and you build it all up for the Olympics mm. and then kind of in the build up to the trials you realise that if I don't get this right there is no Olympics for me Right. if I don't qualify I'll be sitting at home watching the Olympics on the telly. Watching my friends run. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that didn't strike me until probably a week, 10 days before. And you spend spend the next week to 10 days going, mm. okay, 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 you need to make this team, you need to make this team. And then once the gate, once the gun goes off, you're... Right, you're, you're in the zone, in, you're just... You're in yeah. kind of autopilot, so to speak. Um, yeah. You've got a plan, you need to execute the plan and get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once you cross the line and you have qualified you're like okay this is, it's amazing I've achieved my goal and then you're like wait a minute no I haven't achieved my goal yeah. I've just, just ticked got off the opportunity a box to get to, get to get achieve it. my goal so yeah. um, fortunately I had a knee issue that was kind of misdiagnosed at first struggled to get it right um, in the build up so mm. the six weeks up the six weeks leading into the Olympics were really tough didn't trained nearly as much as I needed to Um, and so didn't make the final made it through from the prelim to the semi-final but um, it all caught up with me in the semi-final you can only kind of you can only kind of convince your body so much that you're ready to do it and if you're not ready to do it because you've like the previous six weeks preparation has been buggered then it's it's, um, yeah there's only so much the mind can do yeah Um, but the experience as a whole was great um kind of gave you a, a strange sense of worth just seeing the other people that are there, the people that you've you've kind of achieved, you've got to a level. Yeah. Um, it's weird to see like Michael Phelps in the in the cafeteria and yeah. you're like, because you forget that those people are human. Um, and so it's weird to see them doing the same things that you're right. doing. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it was it was great. Um, we had to deal with Zika, so right. that was a bit of a, sh- a bit of an unknown. Did everyone just kind of get vaccines and stuff? Like, how uh, does that, I mean, no, there wasn't. What? There wasn't a vaccine. That's right. It was you're, just, yeah, you're right. I mean, God knows what chemicals they were spraying, but <laughs> every morning, if you were up early enough, every morning you could see them. 
these guys going around spraying chemicals all over the village and yeah. and um, you were like it can't that can't be good for us yeah <laughs> running in that's us, not but, good um, yeah that, that and then you can just do the level of crime that is in Brazil is, is quite astonishing. So the kind yeah. of security threat that was constantly present, you, they were like, you know, don't wear your, if you're going out of the village, don't wear your gear. Yeah. If you're going to the beach, don't wear Olympic gear. Like if you've already got the Olympic tattoos, like wear a shirt, blah, blah, blah. Like discourage anybody from understanding that you right. are an Olympian. Yeah. Um, trying to blend in as I'm much as possible. Yeah. Right. Which was, which was weird. Um, right. But um, just part of the game, ultimately. Yeah. So, so when you fly down there, uh, what, what's the village? I mean, the village is like that. But what else? What what else was the village like? I mean, you've got obviously all of your team. You know, the, all the GBNI and everything's together. But you know, what and just what was it like? What I mean, other than waking up early and seeing people spraying stuff and <laughs> yeah. security. Um, a bit strange. A bit yeah. strange because every there, there's an underlying. There's like two groups of people. The people who are yet to compete and they've uh, got this underlying tension. tension Everybody's yeah. kind of walking around with their fists clenched, like not really knowing what to do, not wanting to do anything that'll harm their uh-huh. their chances. And then the people who are done competing. So like the swimmers are done first. That's what always kicks off the okay, Olympics. Yeah. So after the first like six or seven days, they're done. So by the time we even came from the training camp to the village, the swimmers were already done. Yeah. So they're going crazy, Having partying every night, yeah. loud as anything. And you're like, we get there and we're like, would you please be quiet? Because we are trying to compete. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. You wouldn't, I mean, I'd never think of that. I'd never think that you're all in this and you have people like, oh, we're done now. So we're just right. going to have a great night and stay right. up till 4 a.m. and listen yeah. to musical night. Like, exactly. It's a strange, and they do a very good job of logistically of keeping people on different floors, keeping people separate. People, and, yeah. and, 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 reminding people who are finished that look you wouldn't have lo- you wouldn't have liked it 10 days ago if people were being right. loud when you were trying to compete so um that's hilarious yeah it kind of the cleanliness of the village is the the hard part i mean every uh-huh. day you wake up to a new notice on on your on your door from the team doc or a whatsapp message from the team doc say like this is the new strain of stomach virus that's going right. around this is yeah. the new strain of this that's going around because you've brought in all of these countries from all the world to one melting with pot with differing right. levels of sanitation different yeah. levels of kind of cleanliness and that's difficult um, you know the dining room is or the dining hall is huge mm. it's open 24 hours a day but you're like you sit down and you're like they're like you have to use like, make sure you only use plastic cutlery that's in a plastic bag yeah because we can't guarantee that the water they used to clean the yeah cutlery or as clean yeah. so only use plastic plates only use plastic cutlery in plastic bags you're like <laughs> single handedly destroying the planet with right. like one the world's village best worth athletes, of right? plastic plates Just, yeah. Uh, yeah and you're trying to cut a piece of chicken with a, yeah. your knife's breaking and stuff like that so um, it's just a lot of different you know yeah people who've been to the Olympics before will tell you is a lot to take in mm-hmm. and you're like well sure whatever like well how, how hard can it be it's not until you're done with it that you're like oh, that was kind of exhausting just yeah. being in the village is a, a bit exhausting after this. Yeah. so um, yeah that is it's tough but all part of the all yeah. part of the experience what was that the opening ceremony like I mean everyone will, will most likely know that they throw parties in Rio and it's known for some of the best places to party or whatever in the world but 
as an athlete, what was that like going in and you know to the so stadium and we were else? still on holding camp. Okay. Um, we so the. <laughs> They hold you in holding camps for multiple reasons, but yeah. one of the reasons was that the village wasn't actually finished. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> so there wasn't actually the amount of apartment. Gotcha. There wasn't as many beds as they said there was going to yeah. be. So there were people who had to, like, lots of team staff for, like, team staff for the swimming team. Right. That as soon as the swimmers were done, they had to leave. They were out, yeah. To make way for the other athletes and team staff to coming in. Mm-hmm. So we watched it in, like, a movie theater at the oh, holding camp no in a place called Bello Horizonte so you never got to like walk that. through and no with the team. Oh. Uh, that being said we weren't that bothered about okay. it because it's a lot of time on your feet sure. because you're in we went to the closing ceremony yeah. and it's like a six hour deal of wow. being held in pens to yeah. then usher you out and you're on your feet for a long time yeah. So lots of people opt, even people who are in the village opt mm. not to go to the opening ceremony. Is everyone in the closing ceremony just drinks the flow and having a great time because they're done yeah pretty much yeah, I think <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you've been pent up for this so much time right. like it's time to let go and let right. loose and the fans are there and having yeah. a great time wow what an experience uh, did family get to come and enjoy it with you or not yeah my yeah. my parents and my um, brother came out my younger brother uh-huh. um, my older brother was working and my, my younger sister was at was at university in Tulsa yeah. so um, she had to be back at school and um so yeah, my, my, my family and my, or my parents and my younger brother came, which was great because I was pretty, I took it pretty hard. My, my, with mm-hmm. my performance not being what I wanted it to be, was emotionally yeah. quite difficult. Um, and so to have them there right. to get out of the village, go to Copacabana beach, stuff yeah. like that and play in the ocean with my brother, it just kind of brings you back to yeah. a normality and brings you out of the, reminds you that actually yes the whole world was watching this olympics right. but as soon as you're done nobody no cares. one cares like yeah, nobody cares right. nobody yeah. cares at all so yeah because then you go from like having been in the same cafeteria hall as michael phelps to like actually you know i'm going on the beach with my brother and throwing around you're like right. okay like i'm back to some normality right. now and yeah is there any other people that you know, obviously you mentioned phelps or any other people that stood out to you that were like well, i mean they're a god or like i need to go take a picture with that person or meet them yeah no not really i don't I kind of struggle with the kind of status of people. Sure. Like I, I'm not really that bothered um, with getting pictures with people or anything yeah. like that. It's kind of like, well, there's just, you know, my just dad has a, a phrase like uh, everybody. Is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You're right. Yeah. And so yeah. it's true. And, and that's helped me. Um, that's helped me in the past with kind of getting to a level to beat people. Cause I never took, I was never scared of anyone, so to speak. Um, But, um, yeah, it was not really that bothered. I did see, um, oh, no, I can't remember his name. The guy who got in trouble for the swimmer. Oh, um, yeah. Um, Who who got in trouble. What's his name? I know you're talking about. Ryan Lochte. Yes, that's him, yeah. I did see him come back in that morning, looking, the morning that all all the stuff kicked off. And he looked terrible. And he ran, like, he was, like, running through the village with... (laughs) stuff and and, he, and I was like what is going on with him and then it transpired the later in the day that he yeah. was in he was in jail trouble, or whatever right? yeah he's so, getting picked up yeah that's oh, chaos isn't it so that happens that's 2016 you know we five years later uh, you know you go back to Tulsa and hang out and still running competitively obviously it's a bit of a you know it's you know, you're up here and you're at the Olympics and then you're like oh I've, I either have to train for another four years 
or I'm just going to you know see where I'm at. What happens after that? What are you thinking? And then you moved back to Tulsa, I guess, or were you still in Boston? Yeah, um, I was. We moved, I was still in Boston yeah. um, for another year. Um, the thing, the good thing with track is, or with track and field, is that we have either uh, a world championships or European championships or commonwealths like every, every year. year. Yeah. Um, and so the year, cause Europeans are every two years, uh-huh. commonwealths are every four years, but two years offset yeah. from the Olympics and then world championships are every two years so it's offset from Europeans. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, there's always something. So as soon as you get done, which is good because mm. in a time like where you're disappointed with a, a performance like the Olympics, you go, okay, Let's get ready, and we've got yeah. world championships next year. The last thing um, we're doing is sat around waiting, right, right and training exactly. for two years instead of training for something next right. year. So the sports, I do, I do feel for the sports that you know only have the Olympics, yeah. and that's you know there's sure I'm sure there's world championships and stuff like that, but the Olympics is held to so much mm. higher of a standard. In track and field, it's kind of like it's just the one world of, championships yeah. are the same as the Olympics yeah it's got a bit more of kind of status symbol to it and you're always competing it's the same sort of crowd the same guys or you've already yeah, you've, yeah yeah you're right yeah so training for those just you know up in Boston and got the one year old and another one on the way I guess yeah yeah so I, I did um, the first year that Ronan was born was, was hard because mm. Meredith went back to work my wife went back to work and so I bought a treadmill um, for our living room yeah. of, our, of our basically one bedroom apartment in Boston um, so much to my wife's dismay that the treadmill was the focal point of our living room <laughs> not the but, baby's um, crib <laughs> no but um, yeah. um, I was running about 80 miles a week yeah. on my treadmill in my living room with Ronan just sitting there but um, it did teach me a, a lot um, obviously having a child teaches you a lot in, in every regard but as an athlete it taught me a lot because you know if my if a day was supposed to be an, an easy um, an easy eight miles in the morning and yeah. an easy four miles in the afternoon it was kind of recovery day to, to get ready for a workout the next day and I run put the run I would feed Ronan put him down for a nap yeah. and the noise of the treadmill the repetitive noise of the treadmill would, would normally keep him asleep yeah. some days it wouldn't and so he'd wake up and I'm like okay well try and get back to sleep and, and he wouldn't and I'm like okay my morning run is shot done. Yeah. so instead of having my morning run done and only needing the afternoon run done when my wife got home from work I would yeah. need to do 10 or 11 miles in the evening yeah on the treadmill um and fortunately the old couple that lived underneath us were pretty understanding of the treadmill the tr- yeah. footsteps on the treadmill pounding knocking dust from their <laughs> ceiling i'm sure for for an hour or yeah. and 10 minutes um but that was just kind of the way it went yeah. and on track days i would take ronan with me to the mm. we would use the harvard indoor track and i would take him with me to the yeah. track and some days he would sleep, fall asleep in the car and sleep the whole time. Yeah. And then I would feed him, a, feed him a bottle before weights and then go straight to weights and he would sit there with his bottle and yeah. drink his water, his uh, milk. And, or some days he would scream and scream and scream and scream. Yeah. And, I mean, one day he would not be quiet. I was through the first rep. It was just me and him at the track. The rest of my group was away on a training camp that yeah. I had opted out of um, because of Ronan. Right. And he was screaming screaming bloody murder and so 
the janitor of the track actually came out and said, do you need me to like push him around or hold him or anything? Yeah. And normally my initial response would be like, <laughs> nah, mate, you're good. I'm I've good. never even seen you before. <laughs> But <laughs> I'm thinking like, okay, this indoor track's 200 meters around. Like I can pretty much see him the whole time. Yeah. And I'm pretty fast. So I can catch him if need be. Right. Um, and so I'm like, if you wouldn't mind me, that would be great. <laughs> and it's this, he was probably 65 yeah. Jamaican guy. Um, and he was like, yeah, no, like, no problem. And, and he just sat there and talked to him and yeah. bounced him around for, <laughs> like for the next professional 45 athlete, minutes right? <laughs> yeah. while I'm tearing around the track. And, and I was like, thank you. Like, thank yeah. you so much. Like, same again, same next, nice. yeah, same like, again see on, tomorrow. On Friday, yeah. will you? <laughs> and um, it's funny. I mean, you know, I never thought that I would do that. And if somebody yeah. had said to me that they did that with their child, would have been like, you're, you're, you're daft, your mate. You're crazy. Yeah. But What did Meredith think must. when you said that? I'm not sure if I told her immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I told her right away. But yeah. Um, yeah, normally my coach would hold him if he was crying. Right. But when they were gone, I had to make, yeah. make, make do. But um, <sighs> That's hilarious. Crazy times. Yeah. So I guess now to present day, obviously you're back living in Tulsa. Uh, have you kind of officially retired or are you still competing or running like how transitioning into I guess back to normal life now working? still running okay. I'm still still under contract with Adidas mm -hmm. um, fortunately I'm still running I just went under um, hip surgery to mm -hmm. have a labral re uh, labral tear repaired um, and uh, what's called the FAI F FIA or FA FAI I can't remember mm -hmm. um which which way the letters go around hip impingement syndrome yeah. um where they basically just shave off some of the bone mm -hmm. um so that your hip moves a bit more freely which isn't much fun it wasn't much fun but <laughs> sounds excruciating um, I'm about 9 weeks post surgery now and okay. it's amazing because I can bend down to put my shoes on which I haven't yeah. been able to do properly for the last kind of 2 years I've been dealing uh -huh. with it on and off for about two years so yeah. um that was nice to be able to like just kneel down and put my shoes on and tie them properly instead yeah. of having to put myself into strange positions to tie my shoes and it's a bit i mean it, it's a weird thing to say to someone like yeah i was running 350 or 352 353 for the mile and 332 yeah. for the 1500 and couldn't tie my shoes properly but that's just the way it goes right yeah. <laughs> it's kind of yeah I can't you know, bend over but I can run that's athlete, all I need to do athlete lifestyle so to speak yeah. um, as long as it was sore for the rest of the day but I could do enough activation yeah. and mobility and stuff before I ran yeah. that I could run um, and then you just live for the rest of the day with, with, with the slight pain, pain. Yeah. Um, but it got to the point where I just couldn't live with the pain for the rest of the day and right. couldn't even run properly anymore so we had to get the surgery um it's a long, it's a it's a long process to come back from the surgery, uh -huh. um, but it's a, I'm ahead of schedule, and I think in the next kind of two or three weeks I'll be back to running, um, you know, getting proper running done in the pool and on yeah. the anti gravity treadmill and a little bit on the ground. <laughs> What's that like being in the pool doing that? Like that must seem. It's um, it's odd. It looks awful. It's odd, um, and you're not you're not moving exactly the same way as you would right. be on the ground. But I guess it's just stimulating muscles and it's a bit of a workout. Isn't yeah. It? And a lot of the problem or a lot of what you have to do with the hip surgery is the hip has to keep moving. Gotcha. I mean, within hours after the surgery, 
you know, I think a couple hours after I woke up, they have you on the static bike. Yeah. So you're not even fully with it yet. And you've yeah. got two physical therapists like holding you on the it's bike like while you legs. spin your legs and you're like <laughs> half drunk. Like. <laughs> but um, yeah. you got to get the fluid moving. You got to get the joint mm-hmm. back to movement. The longer it stays stagnant, the worse it will sure. be. So, um, so yeah, it's just lots of time in the gym you know, for two yeah. to three hours, sometimes four hours a day doing what I need to do in the gym and then yeah. get back to being a dad that's mad isn't it uh, so what are you preparing for now like so once this gets back to like gold set on a certain race um, ultimately the game plan is to get back for the Olympics sure um, if the Olympics go ahead I'm, yeah. I at this point doubt that they will yeah, um, yeah. and there's varying opinions on that Tokyo's the, the Japanese government are still pretty steadfast on the yeah. fact that it is going ahead but um, there's lots of money for them to lose if it doesn't so um, right I would. I struggle with the logistical side of it, whether logistically mm-hmm. they can make it happen, and then also the kind of you know lots of people have lost jobs for yeah. by that time, people will have been out of work for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, people are really struggling. Small business owners are struggling to keep their employees paid. Yeah. Um, even big big businesses are keeping to keep their struggling to keep their um, employees paid. Mm-hmm. So. I'm not sure the kind of, oh, it's good for morale, it's good for right, yeah. people love sport. I'm not sure if they yeah. love sport that much. That much, to um, see all these athletes. That yeah. they can, that, that we can really justify a worldwide mm-hmm. sporting event. Yeah. A bit different with a bubble in, uh, NBA or the NFL. Sure. Even, you know, soccer back home in the UK, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty kind of contained. Um, yeah. Yeah, watch, it's weird watching it, it? they're playing under you know their own fan no fans or whatever yeah. in the sounds but you're right right because it's you know the grand scheme of things right in the world or whatever okay if we miss the olympics fine it's money to somebody that's not gonna you know someone's gonna lose money but the people who are losing money in them i mean this is me just spitballing right but i think that obviously the world's health is more important isn't it right so but i mean you've still got to train if, if they keep telling you yeah hey, it's gonna happen you can't just like oh now oh i should start training now because right. you know it is on or whatever yeah that's it i mean i think there will be some athletes out there that have used it yeah. as an excuse that are like oh well it's not gonna happen hmm. and then if it does happen they're like oh well i just didn't think it was gonna happen so yeah. i wasn't ready for it they were probably not gonna be the people who made the olympic team anyway yeah um and you know to the world's health I, I think it's kind of one of those things that's like well I think we could have a healthy games I think mm-hmm. I don't think it's logistically impossible to have a healthy games right. it's just whether or not it's kind of morally sound yeah. too you know yeah. that's that's a, a condition that I think is probably being overlooked mm. um, but it you know I would be pretty mad if I'd lost my job and yeah. couldn't find another job or or I'm working working two or three jobs to try and support my family mm. and then whilst doing everything safely or if I was a small business owner that's yeah. like you know I've lost almost everything I'm struggling to keep my employees paid and then they are just like yeah sure we'll turn have on the TV or whatever we'll and see like you guys running around right. the track or swimming and like oh right. uh, well this is totally off yeah. and different we shouldn't be doing and that and I don't think it, I don't think being an elite athlete is a good enough reason right. to jump the queue for vaccines and yeah. jump the queue for medical treatment <laughs> yeah, yeah that, I mean that's, that is a great point I totally agree with you um, so 
training coming back training for for this Olympics coming up um, and then obviously living back in Tulsa now you said you're still doing stuff with the team you mentioned your younger sister Rand is she still in town or is she back home she's back in Edinburgh okay. yeah she she went back to Edinburgh when she was done um, done with college so um, yeah we've been back in Tulsa for a few years now mm-hmm. um, we moved back in 2017 end of 2017 um, and it's great yeah. I love Tulsa I mean I, I think I love Oklahoma as a whole. I think Tulsa's a great, um, a great city. It's especially, you know, with, with new stuff like the gathering place and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, we're at the gathering place almost every week. With the kids, yeah, the but kids they love and, it. And they love it. And it's like, it's like Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. So yeah, we're, we're incredibly lucky to have, um, you know, all the f- fitness trails and all the bike trails and, and, the river parks and gathering place and it's it's a great place I, yeah. I, I love it awesome well mate I can't thank you enough for you know I'm glad we managed to do this glad you're in town for a meeting and we could make this happen before you head back uh, for everyone listening where can they kind of follow you if they want to bug you for tips and stuff on running how can they do that as well yeah Instagram is probably the easiest um, I don't even know what my Instagram <laughs> look handle is it'll, look be, it up real it'll quick. probably be Chris O'Hare 1500 because yeah. that's normally what I am for everything okay um, but uh, yeah feel, you're right Chris O'Hare 1500 there you go yeah so feel free to Good follow. shoot me a message yeah. or whatever I'll normally get back to <laughs> normally get back to people and then, and then you said you, you've been doing some podcasting right with mates from back home yeah from back home yeah um, just new, pretty running specific okay. ones um got a good friend that I've um I've known since we were very young Sean Fontana he's a he's a personal trainer mm-hmm. um back in Scotland and does a lot of online stuff so whether yeah. you're from which is the great thing about YouTube whether you're from Oklahoma or you're down the road in in Glasgow or Edinburgh yeah. you can watch Sean do his his stuff which is yeah. great uh have you thought about before we finish just one thing I thought of, have you thought about dabbling in any other things like I mean a lot of runners that I know get into triathlons and doing stuff. Is that something that interests you later on in life? Yeah, maybe. Um, kind of. I hate swimming Me with too. a passion. Yeah. I've had to swim a lot with with this hip injury, and and I, I dread every single minute of it. Yeah. Um, but I like being I like being out on the bike. It's it's nice to be outside. Um, any more than five minutes on the, the bike in the gym, I'm ready yeah. to blow my be brains outside. out but um yeah, yeah the, i can be out for hours and hours and hours on the bike outside so um i don't know i mean i think the longer the longer you're in a sport professionally the mm. less likely you are to do it recreationally sure. after um being a competitor i'm sure i'll compete in something whatever i choose to do yeah i'd like to get to do some five-side football and stuff like stuff that you can't do stuff you've missed, without right? breaking That's, a yeah, leg so. yeah. stuff that you can't risk when you're right, in college or right. a scholarship or a contract with Adidas exactly. right otherwise you end up like Rory McIlroy before the Open one year we breaks his ankle for playing at St Andrews right Clown. right, right. Uh, well mate it's been a pleasure thanks for coming down uh, for everyone listening I'll post the links to Chris's Instagram down below in the description you can go and follow him great follow and yeah um, thanks for listening we'll catch you next episode cheers This podcast was presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, who've been telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. Follow them online at OklahomaHOF.com and definitely on Instagram at OklahomaHOF. Catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. 
Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.